Hey everyone, this is Arnold Bjorn with Warm Welcome, where every Wednesday we meet the makers behind the most beloved restaurants to share their stories, struggles, and success. Today I'm excited to announce that we're featuring Dennis Go, chef and co-owner of D&D, a Vietnamese restaurant that means let's eat, located out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, and opened two years ago in May 2018. And D&D has since then become a neighborhood staple and one of the stalwarts of modern Vietnamese cooking here in New York City. Uh, I love my experience at D&D, a space full of lush greenery, white brushed walls, and skylights. Dennis Go is a Texas native who grew up in Houston, a city that ranks third after California, San Jose, and Garden Grove with the most Vietnamese-American population in the U.S. Vietnamese food for Dennis was highly accessible early on. We've also had Jimmy Lai from Madame Vo and Yen Go from Van Dao on the podcast. Dennis is yet another second-generation Vietnamese-American who is playing a critical role in shaping the identity of Vietnamese cuisine and culture. Prior to opening Diandi, Dennis was far from the world of kitchens. After four years in management information systems and working at Accenture's financial services, Dennis found a calling in restaurants. Back then in the early 2000s, Vietnamese food was fairly unknown, and so unknown that many people didn't even know what a bam mi sandwich was. In this episode, we share Dennis's mid-career change from consultant to a dishwasher to an opening executive chef. To begin, we take you back to his early childhood where despite having access to Vietnamese food, he wanted to be just like his classmates eating fast food, American food. Both of my parents were, they did their best to make, you know, always had dinner at the table for all of us to eat together. But sometimes, you know, it's it was frozen food or it was fast food. And when my mom did have the energy Um, you know, after working as a pharmacist, you know, she would make some Vietnamese food and me being kind of like a bratty kid, you know, Vietnamese food wasn't what I gravitated towards, you know, as I was growing up. I wanted to eat American food. I wanted to be like my classmates, you know, like eating the same things they did. So my early life was surrounded by fast food, American food. And it wasn't because my parents didn't want to expose me to my culture. It's just I think I was such, you know, I just kind of wore them down to the point where they're like, you know, I'm just going to give you what you want. And, you know, so like I kind of just, you know, grew up in Texas eating like the, you know, the hamburgers, the barbecue, the Tex-Mex and really gravitating towards those kind of things early in my life. And, you know, it really wasn't until like college when, you know, I really started to open my eyes and really appreciate all the delicious Vietnamese food that my parents had been trying to feed me previously But now that I had just, it kind of clicked to me. How did you end up in New York? How did you decide to live there? You know, I remember when I was in school at the University of Texas, when I could afford it, I would save up. And I was flying up to New York to go clubbing at like Twilo, all those places on West 27th, just enjoying the nightlife up here because it was so different than what it was available to us in Texas at the time. And the idea of these crazy clubs where you would go dancing um, all night long and, you know, I would you'd be out up until like 7 a.m., you know, like the nightlife, that really drew me in and opened my eyes to New York and then experiencing the energy. It was just so foreign to me about how people lived and operated in New York City as opposed to tech. That little taste that I got in my in my early 20s and my late teens um, coming up to New York kind of helped establish that foundation for me and establish that longing for somehow making it to New York someday. And then, you know, as I mentioned previously, you know, when I was in consulting, I ended up being in a group that primarily focused on financial services. 
as our clients and financial services, you know, being based primor- primarily in the Northeast, New York City being a big, um, you know, I found myself flying to, you know, specifically New Jersey and working for a lot of clients in New Jersey, but being close enough to New York that I could either stay there or drive in, you know, I was, I was able to make a compelling argument to my uh, superiors that, you know what, just move me up to New York City and make that my home base. To their credit, they allowed me to do that. So I was able to transition to uh, New York City, be my home base. And uh, I was stationed out of New York City for uh, two years after that. And the restaurant Silent H in the early 2000s, was that the first professional restaurant job that you've had? Yes, that was. So that that came about after I made that decision of like, I'm going to try to make this happen somehow. I had been at, I had been at Accenture long enough that they provided a sabbatical for people that had been employed more than five years. So they gave me three months off. I got a certain amount of my salary. I got my benefits. And I took those three months. I planned. I saved up some money. And then I said, I'm just going to find a restaurant and I'm going to offer my services for free. And there weren't too, there weren't too many Vietnamese restaurants at the time um, in New York City. They mostly centered around Chinatown Vietnamese restaurants. But I remember getting on Eater and I saw a blurb about this guy named Ben who's going to be opening up this restaurant in Williamsburg, which I didn't have any idea where that was at the time. Um, it was someplace in Brooklyn. I didn't really know Brooklyn yet. Hey, this, this is guy opening this Vietnamese restaurant. Um, I didn't know how I was going to get in contact with him, but I was like, you know what? That's maybe that's an option. I knew he was out there. I sent an email to him and he did respond. He's like, yeah, you know what? When I open up, you know, I'll, I'll stay in touch. And then I somehow remember I was at a bar. He was there. And we got connected somehow. And that kind of cemented uh, my opportunity with him. Because after that, I remember he was like, okay, come in and wash dishes. And then I remember immediately starting shortly thereafter. And I washed dishes at the beginning because that's the only thing that I was prepared to do because um, I didn't know how to cook. I had never been in a restaurant at that point. It figured that that's probably the best place to start. I think I worked there for the three months. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back to work. Uh, I'm going to save up a little bit more money because you know New York's very expensive. and Vin could only pay me what he could pay me as a, as a dishwasher, low-level line cook. So I needed to save up a little bit more money. So I went back and I think I worked at Accenture for probably another year, knowing that I'm going to get, I'm going to leave at some point and uh, save some money. And then I went back, um, gave my notice, went to back and worked for Vin. Worked there for, I think, like six months to a year. I don't remember. It's really hazy, all the timing. I wanted to continue uh, seeing different things and didn't really know how I was going to do that. But, you know, I think the beauty, the, the thing I love about New York is the, the serendipity, the random things that happen. I think it's a, it's a product of just the incredible density that we have here. And I think it's a product of just, we, we have the seasons where during the winter, everybody's hunkered down. But in the summers, everybody just wants to be outside. So, like, I remember I was on a rooftop in Williamsburg at the time. It was summer. Um, we're enjoying the the beautiful weather. It's one of those early 2000 rooftop parties in industrial Williamsburg that everybody longs for. I remember I by that time, I actually don't remember because the story had to be repeated to me the next day. At that time, you know, I was I was carrying a flask with me everywhere I went, um, you know, and I had a flask of some whiskey. And I remember this other Vietnamese guy coming up and asking if I had a, a if I could share my flask with him. And uh, I remember sharing the drink with him, and it turns out um, he would be my future business partner. And that was Juan, and he had told me that, uh, you know, hey, I'm looking up to open up a Vietnamese restaurant. I heard you're a chef. Uh, 
you know, we should have a conversation about this. And that kind of started me down the road of working with Swan. And uh, that's, and, you know, long story short, you know, it took us a little bit of time and, you know, dancing back around, but, you know, we would ultimately decide to work together and open up this restaurant and I would work for him as his chef. Yeah. I mean, so you landed this crazy new role. I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it's an executive chef role um, at, at this restaurant that you guys are opening together. And it, the start wasn't too pretty. Uh, there was the crazy story of how your kitchen team walked out on you and you had to close for a service someday because no one, I mean, no one was there to work. I mean, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience uh, running this restaurant. Yeah, I could cook a dish well for five to 10 people, you know, and that's what a tasting is, you know. So when I had to do tastings for, Tuan and his partners, that was very easy for me to accomplish. But when you have to start doing it on a daily basis and you have to lead a team and you have to organize and you have to plan, you have to prep and you have to create an infrastructure to set up your team for success and make it sustainable for everyone, that was a skill set that I hadn't had to do or I didn't even realize was something I needed to do. So, you know, the beginning of opening Anchoy was a time of extreme anxiety for me because. As we started to ramp up and we started to plan for open, I quickly realized, holy shit, I do not know anything. I, I, I don't know how I convinced anyone to work with me during that time. And I can only imagine how shitty of a boss I was during that time. We had the benefit of Vietnamese food was still something that was not um, readily available in New York. And what I like to call that first wave of Vietnamese food was starting to open. And that first wave kind of centered around Vietnamese operators and restaurateurs who were providing a comfortable space that was different than the Chinatown vibe and introducing New Yorkers to just the basics. And that's like Ben and pho. Cause that kind of stuff was still kind of exotic. There was a time where like you, you made a Ben that's front page news on the New York times food section. You know, I remember silent H being on the front page with this huge picture about the Ben because it was new. It was brand new to everyone. So we had that initial buzz in the beginning because, hey, this is a new Vietnamese restaurant opening up. Vietnamese food's still super exotic. It's the next thing. So when we opened it up, we were super hot and super busy. And I could make these things, but the menu was super limited. And I did not know how to organize myself and the team to grow beyond that very limited menu and do the things that I needed to do to keep the food exciting, fun, and challenging for my team. We weren't doing enough to keep sustain our business, it quickly became apparent that some changes didn't happen. This was not going to be a sustainable business for my partner, Tuan. That's when a lot of... You could sense the self... People... It was a tangible feeling in the restaurant that, oh shit, you know what? Dennis has no idea what he's doing here because he can't get us over the hump here. It showed in terms of the menu. It showed in terms of my ability to lead. It showed in terms of my ability to communicate. Just everything. It showed it was apparent. I knew it. The staff do it. And I got to a point where I was like, shit, I think I'm doing Tuan a disservice here as his chef because he's gonna he's gonna flame out here. His partners are gonna flame out and it's gonna be my fault. It crossed my mind and I was kind of preparing myself. Maybe I need to go back to consulting because maybe I don't know what I'm doing. And I, I kind of bit off more than chew. Fortunately, you know, I didn't have to get to that decision, make that decision, because shortly thereafter, everybody walked out on me. I remember, I remember having to discipline someone for an infraction. And, you know, at that point, the team had zero respect for me. You know, they knew I wasn't a real chef. They knew I wasn't doing, I wasn't prepared to do the things that I was asking them to do. And it was apparent. 
So there was no respect. There was no, no loyalty and understandably so, you know, so when I had to let one person go, they all walked out with him because they knew they had the leverage. They knew that, Hey, you need me, you need me more than I need you here. So we're all, we're all gone. Peace out. That was, you know, that was, I was just stunned that day when it happened. It was disappointing to have to tell Tuan, dude, they all just walked out on me. And how did you, I mean, how did you open back up for, for business? Cause all, you know, your kitchen team walked down and you, did they come back? And also, I know there's this mysterious figure that somehow serendipity came in and helped you out too, so. No, the team didn't come back. You know, I remember that next day, you know, Tuan and I putting it, you know, deciding, you know what, let's put an ad up on Craigslist. You know, I knew at that point I could not leave Tuan high and dry. So I was in it for the long haul now with him. You know, I felt like that's the best I could, you know, at least I need to do this and help guide, you know, this restaurant through this wave and hopefully help him write the ship. And then I can reevaluate whether or not cooking is in my cards in the future. So, you know, I remember us posting a Craigslist ad that morning, Tuan and I just sitting there waiting for uh, someone to show up for the open call. Shortly thereafter, um, you know, posting the ad, someone walked in the door and it was this older gentleman. I was like, wow, you showed up really fast. You know, I think we just posted his ad a couple hours. And he's like, what are you talking about? Why are you guys closed, first of all? And then I was like, oh, I guess you're not here for the job. No, I wasn't. You know, I was actually trying to visit the pickle guys next door and I got my pickles. Gus's pickles used to be next to Anchoy. And then he was like, oh, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, this Vietnamese restaurant's here that I had read about in the New York Times because we had just been written up on the 25 and under column. I wanted to check it out. It was on my list of places to check it out because I'm Vietnamese. And I had to, you know, tell him, well, you know, uh, we had to close and, you know, I'm looking for, I had to tell him the whole team walked out of me, but, you know, we're just looking for cooks, you know, so, you know, sorry, can't serve you any food. And then he goes, well, uh, you know, I'm a cook. And I was like, okay. And, and to me, he looked like this was a gentleman in his sixties, you know, and he's like, I'm a cook. And I was like, okay. Uh, and I didn't even know how to interview somebody for a cook position, you know? And then, you know, he proceeded to, op- you know, put his bag down. He opened up his knife roll and I shit you not, he had his knife roll on him and a change of clothes. And he's like, okay. He's like, okay, uh, I'll take you to Chinatown and I'll make you a meal right now. Tuan and I just looked at each other and, uh, we were just dumbfounded and we we're like, okay. And I remember like, this guy is here to steal my job. He is going to be the new chef here. And I, I was kind of like relieved because like, oh my God, this guy's going to save everything. And I already thought that immediately. I was like, this guy obviously is on a different level. If he's walking around with a knife roll, with a change of clothes, that is, a, that is another layer of preparedness and mise en place that I did not understand. And you know, he proceeded to walk with me for an hour and take me around Chinatown show me things that I didn't even, was not even aware of. And he made a three course meal for us on the spot. And, you know, it was delicious. We were like, okay, when can you start? <laughs> you know, we were just like, okay, when can you start? And he's like, I'm ready to start tomorrow. We were like, okay, um, all right, let's start tomorrow. And that's how the story starts with Uncle Tian. He went on to mentor Tuan. He went on to mentor numerous people on the block because he's really the person that showed me what hospitality means what it means, what the work ethic required to be in this business, what it takes, the determination, and also the softer side of hospitality and making sure you take care of people, take care of the staff, and not to take your, you know, not to take things way too, too seriously, you know, and there's another way to do this kind of business. I, I will always be eternally grateful to him um, for his mentorship and the time that I had with him because 
if he doesn't show up, I'm 99% sure I would be back consulting and hating my life. First and foremost, something I, that I realized as we're doing this interview is it's, it's, it's May around this time I seen you guys open two years ago. So congrats on, on your anniversary and, and all your success. But you've kind of started touching on this already about rolling out brunch. And I feel like as someone who's been following you in your restaurant, I think you guys are finally gaining a lot of momentum. Um, really finding out who you are, what you're about, rolling out brunch menu, maybe even looking to activate the space on Mondays when you guys are closed. So talk to me about business leading up to the weekend of you know March 13th uh, and, and, and maybe uh, what you're going through currently as well. This year started off with a bang. We were, brunch was starting to gain its legs. Dinner menu, we were starting to rethink what our next menu was gonna look like. Some information that people are not aware of that I've kind of kept, you know, quiet to ourselves. You know, we were in talks with a very famous restaurant store here in New York. And it was a very exciting opportunity that we were starting to consider potentially partnering up with this person to open another concept. And the fact that I was having conversations, we were having conversations with this person, somebody that I, I looked up to, somebody that I idolized, and somebody that's had such a footprint here in New York City for decades, I thought really the world was our oyster and we were gonna potentially make something very, very unique and special. We were also in talks with uh, you know, a big hotel chain to potentially do a concept internationally. I remember that specific week when this all happened. I remember on that Monday, I was at Pauly G's 10 year anniversary party. Having dinner there, that individual that I spoke of that we potentially to partner up to open a restaurant, he was sending someone from his team the following day that we were excited to host because it was like, wow, this is really moving along. We're starting to, this is starting to be for real here. You know, we need to start thinking what next steps are potentially with this person. And then, you know, these were the things that I was concerned with, you know, on March 13th, by the end of the week, by that Thursday, Friday, it was a whole new reality. All that stuff that we were so excited about, it was a new focus now. It was like, holy shit, um, there's this thing happening. There's this COVID thing happening that I don't know what this means. Like, are we going to have to be closed for a week or two? Or like, you know, what's going on here? And that weekend, I remember that weekend, we had reached out to our uh, buddies over at Winsun. And, you know, we were just bouncing ideas off each other. Like, what do we do here? Are we going to... And that order came down to like uh, operate at 50%, you know, that weekend. And do we follow that? Do we follow that order? You know, like I see other restaurants operating 100%. And I remember just like, fuck it. Let's just go for it. Let's just stay open 100%. But there was something in the air and you could feel it. And you could see it on the news briefs. And, and then it became a situation where you're getting lots of questions now from the team. And you're like, is it safe to operate? Like We're getting a lot of questions. And am I being responsible as an owner and operator? Am I setting up my team and my, my guests in a bad spot and it was agonizing and like, okay, well, if we decide to close, what does that mean for our, our team? And these guys are relying on us for work and this is their livelihood. And that weekend was just so difficult for us and for everyone in our industry about like, what's going to happen here. So to start on that Monday, thinking about one thing and to end on that Sunday and being like, shit, you know what? We need to close. And you know what? I think it's in my best interest it's well, not in my best interest, but it's in everyone's best interest that we need to lay you guys off now so you get you can be the first in line to start applying for unemployment. Then only to find out a couple of layers out, you know, hours later that, you know, uh, de Blasio is going to say, you know what, everyone needs to close now. 
it was a little frustrating because I wish the guidance um, from you know our local authorities all the way up to our federal authorities has been was a little bit better. That was the tough week for everybody. I think I'm only starting to wrap my head around that. You know what? This is this is this is going to be a total reset for our industry. And you know, I, I thought that maybe. It's 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 taken me the two months to come to that realization. Maybe I've just been trying to fool myself, but our industry and the way it was at that time, early in 2020, and all those opportunities that we had, that is all gone. And not to say that it won't be back, because it will be. And I know uh, at some point we're going to all be together again, and we're going to be doing the thing that we love at the way the way we the way that we used to do it. It's we're, we're for better or for worse, and I honestly think in some situations it's for the better. It's going to set. It's going to be a big reset for our industry. A lot of restaurants that we love aren't going to make it all the way through, and that's really heartbreaking. That's really scary because I don't know if we're going to be one of the restaurants that makes it through, or we're going to be the ones that don't make it through because all restaurants operate on very razor thin profit margins. The money that comes in today pays for the bills from last week. Yeah, there's been guidance, you know, there's been assistance from the government with the PPP and all this stuff, and that's a start, but it's not set up really well for us. And we really can't open yet, you know, and it's tough. And we're now at the point where, like, you know, we got to get back to work here, you know, and what do we do here? How are we going to make this work? So, um, you know, that's what keeps me up at night these days. And, keeps myself Tuan and Kim up and keeps my team occupied a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, being a restaurant today is so different from what it was to, you know, over two months ago. And I, I, I mean, I've been following. And so I noticed that you started another page DD and uh, you're reopened for takeout and delivery. You expanded your delivery zone to uh, Long Island city, which I'm personally thankful for. Um, how, what are you doing in, to adapt and kind of pivot currently to re, in response to COVID-19? For us, DND, I think at some point is going to, and it's going to stay as that's going to be our dining experience. Eventually, we're going to allow people to come back and eat at our restaurant, um, whether it's at 50% capacity or 20% capacity. It's going to feel different. It's going to look different. And the menu is going to be different because as a restaurant, you know, we need to maximize how many people we can get into the restaurant. So when I think about it, what I have to do is, okay, I still want to allow a comfortable experience, but I need to minimize the decision-making process for our guests when they're inside a restaurant. I don't know what it's going to mean, but I would love to get to a point with D&D in the future where the experience is, it's a family-style kind of meal, um, which, is the tr- which is the way I think most Asian cultures eat. It's a, it's a revolving menu that's going to change, whether it's twice a month or once a week. But it's a set menu and we're going to cook the things that remind us of home and remind us of a family. And you're going to come in and you're going to pay, you know, whether it's $35 and you have to reserve ahead of time, everybody will get that same experience and it will allow us to be more efficient with our seating, with the decision-making process with guests in-house and allow us to manage our inventory and our labor for the back of house because we're going to know what we're serving day in and day out. So kind of like a prefix experience, but at a much more affordable rate and a much more relaxed experience in the Vietnamese sandbox. And that's what I see DND potentially being when they allow us to let guests in. 
And then we started this other brand called DD and spelled D-I-D-I. And the Instagram is D-I-D-I.NYC. And what that literally means is to go. What I see that being is our delivery takeout experience. And I want that to be different than our in-dine. So to give people that second touch point with DND, hey, I don't want to go out to eat today, but you know what? I want that Vietnamese dish that I grew up eating. So it's going to be dishes that are a little bit more recognizable because I find when I'm ordering delivery, I kind of want to know what I'm getting because if I get it and I don't enjoy it, I don't have the opportunity to tell my server, hey, you know what? I didn't like this dish for whatever reason. Can I get something else? And I can't have that accommodation anymore, you know? So it's going to be a menu where we're still going to take creative liberties with the menu, but we're going to gear it towards dishes that people have a connection with, whether it's stuff that had had eaten in the past or things that they've seen in other Vietnamese American restaurants that are going to provide comfort because it's something that they recognize and know while at the same time providing our team to take creative liberties where it is appropriate so that they can still satisfy that itch of being professional cook. And I see that being the situation where you follow the DD Instagram to see the behind the scenes. And you kind of see it already if you're following it, because that's where I want the interaction that we lost by having a server tell you. I want all that stories. I want that interaction I want all the specials to live and utilize that Instagram platform to get that connection via a video or something weird and fun and experiment with that platform to figure out how I can replace that lost connection through delivery takeout. So that is what I see DD being for us for the foreseeable future and that being that one delivery takeout revenue stream. And then we have this final component, which we're just about to pilot launch with the infatuation, and it's called DICHO. And that's spelled D-I-C-H-O-C-H-O dot N-Y-C on our Instagram. And that literally means to go to the grocery store. And that's going to be kind of like this idea that we're going to start with the infatuation. You know, they asked us to create like a DID pantry box. And what that pantry box is going to be is like, all these amazing, all these amazing pantry things that we create, whether it's fried shallots or jam or it's our scallion oil or it's our chicken stock, and taking those things and crafting not only the descriptions and videos and content behind each item to explain why it's important and the process of going to make those dishes, but how do I take those things and not only create Vietnamese meals? But how can I incorporate it into my day-to-day cooking, whether I'm cooking American food or I'm cooking Mexican food, because there is an opportunity to play with those things and enhance your cooking. Because, you know, a lot of people can't afford, and I can't afford to order delivery a single day. But, you know, I also live in a New York City apartment and cooking stuff from zero, it's a time-consuming task. You know, I think the most realistic situation for New Yorkers is to kind of, you know, it's kind of 150% cooking, taking things from things that I enjoy from other places. You know, if they gave me that stock, how do I take that and then make something with that? And if I have the instructions and I have those videos and I have that story, I think there's something there with that, you know? And the other component of the Dicha that I envisioned is, you know, we, if you remember, we have this beautiful patio that leads into our restaurant. 
you know, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, you know, we're going to set up that marketplace that that grocery store is going to live outside on that patio on Saturdays and Sundays. And I'm going to have, uh, you know, I'm going to cook out there on a little uh, binchotan grill. And, you know, what this has allowed my team to do is going back to, you know, something we talked off camera off, you know, earlier is like one of my jobs and responsibilities as a chef um, is to identify the things and the traits and skills of my team. And, you know, I'm blessed to have a team that has, that comes from a lot of different backgrounds. Some are very strong in Vietnamese. Some have zero knowledge of Vietnamese food, but they're still really great cooks. So what this Deecha initiative allows me to do is to take all those experiences and point of views and backgrounds and how can I now expand that sand, Vietnamese sandbox that we're in and take those skill sets and create different things. So, you know, one example is, God bless, I have a great cook, uh, Jimmy, who has an extensive amount of experience in, in butchery and making sausages. So, you know, while we do have sausages in our cuisine, the style of sausages he's accustomed to make, um, you know, we never really had a need on our menu. But now with this Deecha thing, you know, like we can create Asian-inspired sausages that I can now take and go outside and grill on this Binchotan grill on the weekends. And I can make sausage venmies and I can sell them to people on the weekends. And that's going to draw people to come in. And I can start selling this delicious Vietnamese coffee that we're getting from our partners at Wynn Coffee Supply and start selling iced coffee out there. And then also sell those beans and showcase all these products that we have carefully curated and searched for and know that people are looking for and put it all in this one experience in one place. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, I'm stealing from what Dave Chang said, but it's how do I surround our guests and our fans and supporters in the D on D experience? I think I'm, I think I have, I know I have the team. I know we have the knowledge. I know we have the infrastructure. And I know we can get there as long as we can get comfortable just putting ourselves out there and be okay fucking up, fucking up publicly and making those mistakes and acknowledging that and then learning from it and then moving forward. Thanks, Dennis, for your insights. Uh, Dennis and I had initially hoped to connect a few days before the weekend of March where the entire state of New York was on pause. And I had told Dennis he'd be the first guest I'd have on the show once things return to normal. But as we all learned, that wouldn't happen anytime soon. Um, from an entire kitchen team walking out on Dennis early on his career to now dealing with the coronavirus, I'm honestly really inspired as a fellow restaurant professional with his proactive approach in running his restaurant and his ability to, ability to, to lead his team. I thoroughly enjoyed my experience at DND when I when I went. Uh, huge shout out to Jim, Timmy, the service director who holds it down there. It was super enjoyable and honestly, along with Oxalis from a few episodes earlier, uh, one of my favorite restaurants I've experienced in Brooklyn. That being said, I hope you can all support Dennis's new initiatives, DD and Dicha. Both have an Instagram page, so that's didi.nyc and dicho.nyc. I hope, again, you all get a chance to experience D&D, whether that be at a dining capacity when restaurants are able to reopen again in phase three or at the comfort of your home. As always, this has been Arnold with Home Welcome. Thank you for tuning in and don't forget to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and send it forward to someone you think would be interested in our stories of Asian Americans, immigrants, and restaurant entrepreneurship. See you next Wednesday.